Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. I'm Hussam. And I'm Guillaume. In this podcast, we are going through the fundamental concepts of corporate treasury, which I learned from my experience working at a big four consulting company. And he'll explain it in a way that someone like me who knows nothing about the topic can understand. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hey man, how are you? Hey Sam, all good, thanks. What about you man? Very well indeed. It's sunny again in Brussels. Whoop, whoop. We're enjoying the sun. It happens. <laughs> Sometimes it does. And then it hails a little bit in the middle of the day. Exactly. And then it goes back to sun again. And when it's back to sun, then we start recording a podcast inside, indeed. right? To indeed. maximize the sun's effect. Indeed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of podcasts. Yes. yes. So we've had some really interesting discussions so far. You've taken us through corporate uh, treasury overall, mm-hmm. right? Uh, our last few episodes on hedging were super interesting. And a lot of people actually said that they were quite interested in it. Super cool. Topic they didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, today, I'd be interested if we go back to another pillar that mm-hmm. we discussed in our uh, one of our earlier episodes, which is around cash management. Yeah. So you said cash and liquidity management overall is something of vital role of corporate treasury. Absolutely. Um, and we said cash liquidity is the availability of cash. Exactly. Right? Yep. So how do you make cash available in a practical sense? Yes. Hosam, I'm quite glad that you brought this topic today. Um, you might know it, but my first job after graduating was uh, a cash management analyst position in investment banking. So my corporate treasury journey began with cash management. So uh, it's a subject that is quite close to my heart. So thanks a lot for bringing it up. That's beautiful. <laughs> I know, sometimes you have to put a little bit of emotion, right? So, cash and liquidity management. Um, for whomever starts to listen to this podcast and start with this precise episode, we highly recommend to listen to the one of the first podcasts um, about the four pillars of corporate treasury. If not, at least the one uh, on cash and liquidity management, because as you very accurately pointed it out, it's the root of this episode. Today, we're going to dig a little bit further into it, and we're going to talk about cash positioning and cash flow forecasting. Okay, so um, we're going back to some big words again. So mm-hmm. can you break that down for us? Yes. What is cash positioning and what is cash flow forecasting exactly? Absolutely. So indeed, like in many fields, finance and treasury definitely have their jargon, uh, but I'm going to walk you through it and explain. So when it comes to cash management, uh, we already explained that we look at what comes in and at what goes out, right? So we want to be able to plan payments and collections accordingly, in order not to find ourselves in a position where we couldn't pay our suppliers, for instance, or any other counterpart for what it matters, uh, taxes, employees, etc., right? Because otherwise... You'd go bankrupt. Exactly. Right? That's yeah. what uh, bankruptcy is. It's where you aren't able to pay your expenses or liabilities on time. Exactly. Even if maybe you have the money coming later or the cash coming later. Um, if you don't have it then, your suppliers will take you to court eventually and then mm-hmm. you declare bankruptcy. Exactly. Usam, I'm glad you remember very well one of our first discussions. Uh, but that's exactly it. I'm going to introduce a new world here today, which is insolvency, when indeed you cannot pay your debt, right? So mm-hmm. this is highly linked. But So indeed, that's what you want to avoid. And so in order to do so, to plan correctly what is coming in and what is going to go out, you need a starting point, right? You cannot just say, okay, in the coming 30 days, I have this 
10,000 euros coming in, but I have 20,000 euros going out. I'm in a bad situation. Well, it might not be the case because your starting point may be 50,000 euros, for instance. So indeed, you will end up the month at 40,000 euros, which is less than what you started at, but it's not as bad as not being able to comply with your payments, for instance. So what you need is a starting point. We call this the starting position. So you have the delta of what you expect to come in and come out, mm -hmm. but you also didn't start at zero, right? You have exactly. money in your bank account. It's like if I open my banking app right now and I said, okay, this is how much money I have in my bank account right now. Mm -hmm. That's my position. I then look at the next month. I'm going to earn this much money. These are my expenses and what I'm going to be left with. Is that, is that the non-corporate treasury? So example? that's, that's uh, very well brought. Yeah, indeed. So... Yes and no, because you pointed uh, a word that is very important to choose as well, which is balance. So what you will be doing with what you just described, uh, you will check your bank balance at a certain point indeed. Cash position is the aggregated and consolidated balance of all your bank accounts among all your banking partners in all the currencies uh, and this around the world. Okay, so it's like when you bring all of your bank accounts together and mm -hmm. multiple currencies. Yes. Use the word consolidated. So yes. Is that just like the English word consolidate? To consolidate something is to bring everything together. Mm -hmm. I assume it's in the same. Yeah, way. absolutely. So um, consolidated is indeed a quite important word in treasury. Uh, so it's interesting that we break it down a little bit here. Basically, that's the li literal definition of consolidated. Um, so if we take a quick example, I think last time, Sam, you talked to us about your dream of opening a cafe, right? Indeed. With the best pain au chocolat um, in the world. Indeed. Um, and so let's say that you opened it and you became quite successful, probably thanks to this pain au chocolat. Um, so you now decided to open two other cafes in two different cities. Uh, so you now have three bank accounts, right? One for each cafe. Um, let's say you have... Your bank balance at a certain point with one cafe is 1,000 euros. Uh, the second one, you just opened it, but it's doing well. So there is 500 euros at the moment you're looking at. And the third one, well, it struggles a bit to take off. You have great hope for the future. That's probably what will happen. But as of now, you have minus 300 euros on this account. Mm -hmm. So these are each bank balances. But when you consolidate them, you arrive to a position of 1,200 euros. 1,000 plus 500 minus 300. Okay, so for a corporation, because I guess what I forgot there is that corporates can be multinational or exactly. they at least have multiple branches and therefore bank accounts or even whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so it's to consolidate all their cash balances around the world. Yes. Would give them, okay, what is the total group consolidated position that they're at? at that exactly. Moment, which is all the bank balances together. Yeah. Exactly, that's consolidation. It did done at group level, very well, very well pointed out. Yeah. Okay, but you mentioned also the currencies. Mm -hmm. So um, you also have a position for each currency, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you consolidate all these together into one position, I guess? So I see that you start thinking like a real corporate treasurer, Usam, uh, asking the very right questions. So indeed, ideally you'd want both, actually, right? You want one global position and one position per currency for the sake of accuracy and visibility. Now, because you may have payments and revenues coming in those currencies, uh, so it's important to have them. The thing is, in order to have the second one, you need to apply an exchange rate, right? Ideally, the one of the day you're looking to position at, uh, because you want an accurate view of what your consolidated group level position is. And in order to do so, um, and let's take here the best-in-class treasury department, you will get this information from uh, an exchange rate, a daily exchange rate that 
you will get from an external rate provider, such as Bloomberg, that you might, might have heard about already, or Reuters, um, and this in an automated manner, and it will, in your system, calculate how much you have at group level in your reporting currency, right? The one we mentioned in the previous episodes. But so this is getting a bit technical. Uh, I think we should keep it quite high level here, but that's more or less the idea, yes. Uh, a position in each currencies and a position global one. Would you do it at the currency at the time or would you do it at your hedged currency to bring in the last episode? What do you mean by the hedged currency? So if exactly? you're hedging against your FX rates, yeah. right? If you have a position in the US when yes. your reporting currency is in euros, mm -hmm. you've hedged your currency, you've done a future on your currency exchange rate exactly. that you will get from that com company Indeed. in the US. Yeah. Would you not use the hedged currency? Ah, that's a very interesting one. So... The hedged currency and the rates you applied when you contracted with this client and probably yeah. hedged it um, is in the past, right? So you want an as accurate view as possible in the moment. So you'd rather use the one of the day. Yeah. Uh, and on top of that, it's a transaction that still hasn't happened. Yes. Um, we are moving a little bit forward here. It will come in the cash flow forecasting section. Yeah. But for the cash positioning, you're really looking at what is happening today. Live snapshot. Exactly. So this is a transaction that has yet not happened, but we're going to come to it uh, okay. in the coming minutes. But coming back yes. to, then, to cash position. So you, of course, want your cash position to be as high as possible, right? Mm, yes. Uh, because it'll probably give you more flexibility, right? Because like you said in that example, you actually go minus 10,000. Mm -hmm. You have the space to go minus 10,000. Indeed. Right? Because you had a starting position, which was enough to cover that yes uh, and this way you can make sure that any fluctuations in your cash flow you can still pay your suppliers mm -hmm. right yes so to a certain extent yes uh, what you just mentioned earlier is you want to your cash position to be as high as possible basically yes it cannot be bad to have a lot of cash or too yes. much cash you'd rather have this than the other scenario right, right. Uh, for the exact reasons you just mentioned, um, financial uh, strength, flexibility, uh, you can forecast correctly what you're going to pay and when. But on the other hand, um, I would like to bring in another topic from um, Treasury, which is investment or short-term investment. Sitting on a huge amount of cash isn't always for the best, right? Um, because it can bring very little returns, if not zero, or even negative. We will tackle this in a future episode, but for your information, today... The interest corporate gets from important euro balances are negative. Uh, there is a lot of uh, data to take into account to explain why, but that means that today the corporates actually need to pay their bank in order for them to hold their cash, the corporate's cash. So you might want to invest it in the short, medium or long term on investment instruments to leverage that cash and make it bring you more money. Um, and having a lot of cash actually also says something about the company, right? It says something about the company's projects, ideas, and investment strategy. Having a lot of cash means you're fi financially strong, but it also means you are not using your money. So would it mean that you are not innovating or putting the money in the right project in order to grow in the future? Um, so what I want to say is, as a corporate, you want to find that sweet spot between being able to comply with your financial obligations, that's the very first and most important one. You also want to show your financial strength, indeed, but you also want to invest the excess of cash and maximize the returns. Okay, so it's really about finding that balance, like you said, right? Absolutely, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Take us a little bit into the technicalities of that, though. So 
you have your cash position. Mm-hmm. You said that you get that with a live exchange rate, consolidate them all together into your consolidated position. Yes. Um, but surely that's quite difficult to do. I mean, my bank, for example, if I transfer someone money, it doesn't arrive sometimes for two, three days. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. There are some internet companies going around now, these internet banks that are more instant. Mm-hmm. But the typical banks, the ones that corporates would do business with, yeah. they tend to be really slow. You know? So how do they manage hundreds of bank accounts mm-hmm. with thousands of clients? Um, how do you keep track of all that Yeah, practically? I love when we dig into technical topics, uh, Usam. So for the thing you said about the delay uh, between your payments and the moment your creditor receives it, the two or three days delay in it, that's something, that's a float uh, that is usually applied to individuals and it's indeed the time of processing the information but also the bank somehow maximizing uh, that transaction. First of all, it happens a little bit less for corporates because, well, their size is much more important, right? So the power, the leverage they have in the bank is much more important. Therefore, they can say, okay, look, you do not take three days to execute my payment. I want my creditor to have it tomorrow, for instance. So it depends on cutoff times, for instance, but we're going to dig into this in future episodes. Anyway, indeed, you need to take multiple things into account when it comes to cash positioning. So... We're going to stay high level here, but this will definitely open the door for other episodes uh, by bringing up certain key concepts of corporate treasury. So cash positioning and the how to do it depends, first of all, on the maturity of a company's treasury department, right? It can be very manual still. So, for instance, the treasury department receives the information from the bank on what we call a bank statement. And then they point it out manually in Excel, for instance. So they record, they key in the transactions and the actual balances into an Excel that will then calculate uh, the cash position of the group level. The next level will be to have it at the ERP level. So the enterprise resource planning, such as SAP or Oracle. Again, we're going to tackle what an ERP precisely is and its impact in treasury in future episodes. But what you have to remember is that in this system, Uh, is made the accounting especially. And the accounting section is what can be used to have the cash position as well. But, and that's what, uh, and that's where it becomes interesting, the best in class treasury departments proceed in another way. So, high level, being able to have an accurate cash position requires multiple things. First of all, is a proper communication between your bank and your systems. So you want a proper bank connectivity solution. Um, because of recent events, you might have heard of SWIFT, for instance. SWIFT mm-hmm. is a network that is used by the bank to communicate between themselves, uh, but they also communicate with the corporates, or at least most of the biggest corporates in this world. It's a Belgian system, originally, actually. Exactly. Originally, it is. So we can be proud of our uh, hosting <laughs> Adopted country. Adopted hosted country, yes. Exactly. Uh, so SWIFT is a solution. It's not the only one. Quickly, and just for you to have the words in mind already, the host-to-host solution uh, is a way of communicating between a corporate and a bank. There is also the APIs, so this really integrated uh, IT systems that connect the bank and the corporates, but let's not tackle this for the moment. Point is, you need a proper bank connectivity solution. Then you need to receive the bank statements. We just mentioned it. The bank statement is what your bank will send you with the list of operation, transactions you had during the day, for instance, and with your closing balance. At the end of the day, here is how much money there is in the bank account. Now, you have the bank statements. You receive them through the bank connectivity solution. You need to treat them, right? You need to consolidate them and treat them in a proper manner. So you need a system. Best-in-class treasury departments have treasury management systems and payment hubs. 
Again, let's not dig into those concepts, but at least you have the, you have the name in mind. Um, and then you need a proper reporting tool. So you receive the bank statement, so the bank connectivity solution, it has been treated by your treasury management system. You want it to be displayed in a user-friendly manner, so you want it dynamic in a reporting. Is it enough for your understanding, Osama? Is it clear? I think that's, uh, that's enough to tell <laughs> I can I see a very deep system behind it all. Indeed. But it uh, makes a lot of sense. So the basics are that it can go all the way from being manual, really, in an Excel, but the bank statements mm -hmm. are really the key part. Exactly. This can either be integrated in automatically yes. or manually. I assume most corporates are doing everything automatically nowadays mm -hmm. um, through systems, like you said, like ERPs and other connectivity systems. Absolutely. Yeah. It's good to know. Um, so, is that everything on cash positioning? Yeah, I think we've tackled it um, and you've summarized it quite well. Bank statements is indeed one of the most important uh, things to remember here. This is where your bank balance is displayed. So that's the information you want to get. And then you consolidate all of them at group level. Indeed. Makes a lot of sense. So take us through cash flow forecasting. With great pleasure. So now that we have tackled cash positioning uh, and since we covered what cash management is, cash flow forecasting should be a no-brainer. So it's an interesting topic also because it's very representative of what treasury is actually. So let's start by the obvious, the very name of the topic, right? So forecasting is pretty straightforward, predict or estimate a future event or trend. And by cash flow, we mean the inflows, so the money coming in, the outflows, the money going out, which gives us, if added up, the net cash flow, so the difference between the money coming in and the money going out. Here we are talking about predicting or trying to predict as accurately as possible the money coming in and going out over a certain period. Treasury departments usually look at it over a week, a month, three months, or a year, depending on how far they want to have a vision on. And obviously, the further in the future, the less accurate. Okay, makes sense. It's not so uh, complex yet, but things tend to be a lot more complex than that. What are you not telling me? <laughs> so indeed, it's rather simple, but what is interesting is how we get this information, what we do with it, and how to make it as accurate as possible, right? Because as everything that you forecast, nothing is ever so crystal ball exercise, we say. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, some treasury departments call it this way, actually. Oh, yeah, what is your cash flow forecasting method? Oh, yeah, we use the crystal ball. So they just like try to think about how it's going to go in the future. But so indeed, let's start by what we do with it. Um, and let's start with the net cash flow positive. So this means I have more money coming in than going out on the given period, right? So then I can, for instance, look a bit further to see and check if this trend continues. If yes, if that's the case, I can decide to invest part of that positive cash flow, right? And gain money out of it. We just tackled it. You don't want to sit on too much cash. So if you see that in the near future, you're going to have an excess of cash, well, it could be a good opportunity to invest it. Um, and you can also choose to finance some other part of your business, such as projects, etc. If not, well, then you already have enough time to plan accordingly and save part of your money to be able to comply with your financial obligations in the further future. Now, if the net cash flow is negative, which means I have less money coming in than going out for the given period. Again, it does not obviously mean that my business is losing money. It just means that at the moment we are looking at, I have more payments to do than I will collect money. So it can be because of seasonality, uh, clients are paying late, for instance, or it can be a period where you'll have to pay your taxes 
on top of your employee salary at the same time, etc. But so, if the net cash flow is negative for a long period, then it can become a problem. It might lead to some financial difficulties and it can also be a symptom of your business not running correctly, right? Or simply an indicator that you're losing money. So, it might lead to insolvency, the word we just pointed at the beginning of this episode. So, this term is used when a company can no longer meet its financial obligation to lenders and debts when they become due. Okay, so if I was to summarize all of that. Please. So the key thing about cash flow forecasting is, of mm-hmm. course, accuracy. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. You want to be as accurate as possible so that you know what can you invest in the future or not, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. And you took us through something that we talked about in our first episode, I believe, which is being cash flow positive or cash flow negative. Exactly. Right? Yeah, which is, well, do you have abundance of cash coming in versus going out? Which mm-hmm. means at the end of that period, your position will be positive. Yes. Versus when it started. Um, or you could be cash flow negative, which is you're spending more than you're making in that mm-hmm. period, uh, which could be just that period of time. Maybe it's tax quarter, maybe it's uh, bonus season, maybe exactly. it's something like this. You yeah. have more outflows in your business. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be indicative of a bigger problem in your business. You're really sinking. And if the, you can't find a good reason for it, you're just your business is in big problems. <laughs> It is, absolutely. So in that scenario where you have that negative cash flow, Mm -hmm. how do you, uh, let's say, counteract it or counterbalance it, right? Yeah. You want to to get out of that as quick as possible, I assume. Indeed. But whilst you're there, what do you do? Do you you have your position? So you eat into your position. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have like order drafts in the corporate world? Mm -hmm. Is that something that that works? Absolutely. So... Um, corporations do absolutely have those overdrafts that you uh, just mentioned. We call this actually an overdraft facility. That's something you might even have as an individual on your bank account, right? Your retail bank might be allowing you to go under zero. That indeed allows you to get money out of the bank account, even if this one reaches zero. It can be a solution, indeed, uh, to make up for temporary negative cash flows, but it's not the one you'd look for in the first place. Well, because it costs money, obviously. Uh, You typically have this with a banking partner and banking partners do not do that for free, or at least most of the time. So another way of tackling this issue or offsetting your forecasted negative net position could be to, for instance, ask your suppliers for more delay, right? Uh, We said that your business wasn't obviously losing money if you are negative net cash flow, but it can just be that you have to pay too early and your clients pay you too late. So you need to adjust this in order to make a positive net cash flow. Which leads me to my second proposition. You can also ask your clients to pay earlier, for instance. So it's all about managing how and when money goes in, goes in and comes out. So if you can't manage with your overdraft, you would try and adjust your uh, ins and outs, right? Your cash in, cash out flows. Exactly. To manage it. Yeah. And that again goes back to something we talked earlier as well, which is around a lot of it's a negotiation and discussion. Absolutely. Yeah, right. it's part so of the negotiation. It's part of knowing, first of all, is knowing if there's a problem and then working with your business providers or suppliers, mm-hmm. suppliers or clients up and down your supply chain to to get to a position where you can actually handle it. Yes. Makes sense. How does that cash flow metric work in the business boardroom? So I understand it's super important for a corporate treasurer. Yes. Um, that's his job or her job in that situation. Mm-hmm. But to the upper management, the CFO, the overall CEOs of those companies. Yes. How are, what are they looking for in the cash flow forecasting? And yes. how do they use that to drive business decisions typically? 
Awesome. Again, that's a very good question. Uh, and indeed, cash flow forecasting is part of the overall strategy decision making, right? It's a very useful metric. Um, and so, to answer your question, uh, how does it uh, affect the boardroom? Well, it can lead to certain decision making, right? Such as, can we pay dividends to our shareholders? Do we have the cash to do so? Uh, and or bonuses to our employees as well. You might as well want to be able to invest in new projects uh, in research and development, for instance. For this, you need available cash. Can you hire new people either to put on that new project of yours or like just develop your business? Can you open a new store or a new plant or a new whatsoever? So the cash you have decides how your business is driven, right? Cash is like a super important metric. And for the companies, it's the case as well. They want to be able to say, okay, in the upcoming future, we're going to be able to do this, 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 or not, and make decisions accordingly. Okay, cool. So it plays into the overall strategy because that gives you cash available to be able to make strategic decisions. Exactly. Entering new markets, expanding your business. For instance, as well. Or having to reduce your business or delay investments, delay dividends, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Obviously with different uh, levels of priority, right? Yeah. Um, okay, look, super clear, Guillaume. Thank you very much for that. I think we understand a little bit more about Pleasure. cash flow forecasting and why that's important. Take us through what's like the in the overall cash flow conversation. What mm -hmm. are those cash flows? We keep saying money in, money out. Can yes. you give us examples of sources of money in or sources of money out, for example? Mm -hmm. Very well. Hussam, how do you like accounting? After corporate treasuries, my second favorite. <laughs> <laughs> exactly the answer I was expecting. So, very good because it's going to be useful here. Um, so, we're going to look into a little bit of accounting. Uh, not too much since it's the first time. I know how painful of a topic it is for a lot of people. Um, but let's look into it. So, when we talk about cash flow, uh, we often refer to the cash flow statement, which is a financial statement of corporates, right? So... In the cash flow statements, and when it comes to treasury and cash flow forecasting, we distinguish three types of cash flows. The operational cash flows, the non-operational cash flows. So here we talk about what cash flows are linked to your day-to-day -day business and which ones are not operational and non-operational. And the third one is financing cash flows. So high level, what is included in here and how do we input all this in our cash flow forecasting? The operational cash flows, we just said it, it's your day-to-day -day activity. So, a little bit of introduction to accounting terms for the people listening to us. You will look at the AP and AR. What are those? We talk about account payables and account receivables. So, either transactions that are going to be paid or transactions that you're going to receive. When it comes to AP and AR, we talk about transactions for which there is an invoice that has been issued. And when corporates issue an invoice, this invoice can be issued with a 30, 60, or even 90 days payment delay, for instance, right? So it's not because you just have an invoice that you need to pay it out immediately. So this is what's going to be taken into account in the in and out as a cash and what you can predict. Now, you also want to look at the payroll, right? The employee's salary still in this operational cash flows. When it comes to non-operational cash flows, we talk typically about taxes, right? The VAT, the value added taxes, uh, the income tax or capital expenditures, which we call CAPEX, which means acquiring, maintaining or upgrading assets, physicals, physical ones or not, for instance, 
like building plants, equipment, etc. And when it comes to non-operational cash flows, we also typically talk about restructuring. But we're going to keep this one for another episode. Last one, and then it's the end of this big accounting piece, the financing cash flows. Here we typically talk about all the financing-related um, expenses, obviously. So interest, income, and expenses, for instance. Uh, treasury payments or all the other financing-related um, transactions, such as leases, hedging, for which we just uh, covered in the previous episodes, dividends, debt payments, acquisitions, etc. So that was a lot of accounting. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> to summarize then, so yes. if I got it, you said that the uh, typical types of cash flow you can break down into three, right? So, you said yes. operational cash flows, which are your um, accounts payable and account receivable, meaning money coming in, money coming out for your operational activities, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you could also say in operational is like employees on payroll, exactly. etc. So that's your operating expenses. Uh, then you have non-operational cash flows as mm-hmm. your second category of cash flows. Yes. Those would be things like taxes, mm-hmm. right? Which you don't need to pay to operate per se. Exactly. Um, or maybe it's something like CapEx, right? So investing in future assets or maintaining of assets. Exactly. So that's not day-to-day operations, but investing for the future. Mm-hmm. So that's two. So you've got operational, non-operational. And the last one you said was financing cash flows. Yes. Which is... We've talked about in previous episodes, right? Your uh, interest income or mm-hmm. interest that you need to pay out. Yes. So all the expenses linked to financial instruments. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got your operational, your non-operational, and your financial. Absolutely. Okay. That's very a very clear. good summary, Usman. No, very clear. Going back a little bit again to the technicalities of those cash flows. Yes. How uh, exactly do you track those again? Yes. So we talked about positioning and how we track positioning. How do you track your cash flow and your forecasting of that? Awesome. I really like the mindsets. Um, again, let's get into the technicalities. We have tackled the why, the what, how it affects the boardroom, uh, the cash flow forecasting. Let's tackle the how. So it's actually quite similar to cash positioning. It's just a little bit more advanced. Again, it highly depends on the maturity of your treasury department, right? Um, you can... You will anyway receive the information somehow, and you can point it out manually in Excel. And actually, there is a lot of modeling courses on YouTube explaining you how to develop a proper cash flow forecasting model in Excel, because that's something companies do. But indeed, as of a certain size, critical size, companies tend to do this in a more automated way. So the more automated and integrated, the more accurate, obviously, which is what you want to aim for when it comes to cash flow forecasting, because you want to be as precise as possible, as we just explained. So you want to regroup all the information we just talked about, your operational expenses or incomes, your non-operational transactions and your financing cash flows. You want to regroup them and have the information of all of them in a centralized tool. So you will typically get the AP and AR, the account payable and account receivables, from the ERP, typically, because that's where the accounting is done. So this is where the information is regrouped already. So you want to make a link between the ERP and the system in which you are doing your cash flow forecasting. We are just going to come to this in a moment. You also want to have the payroll information, for instance. Uh, This you can typically ask to your HR department or to the third-party provider that's managed the payroll. Um, you can also get information from the payment hub. The payment hub, we mentioned it earlier. This is typically where 
uh, your company will be connected to the banks. So this is where you will collect the bank statements and then you aggregate them in your finance tool. And for the financing uh, cash flows, well, you typically ask your finance department or you link yourself to these financing departments for the financing entries. All this, you will technically do it in your TMS, your Treasury Management System, because this is where you regroup most of the uh, operational, non-operational and financing flows. If you're really next level, some companies do it in a specialized tool. So they link this specialized tool to the TMS and one tool will be dedicated to cash flow forecasting depending on how important it is strategically for the company. Okay, so this treasury management system, the TMS, yes. is really the critical part in all of this and maybe even further than that. Very I'm much. sure we'll talk about TMSs in the future. We will certainly do. Very good. Thank you very much, Kim. Thank you, Usam. See you next time. It's a great pleasure.